Well, good morning, folks. Uh, it's great to continue to be able to gather like this. We've kind of come accustomed to the way in which we're communicating. I'm simply looking at a black camera with a red dot on it, coming to you live wherever you are. And it's really uh, unusual that we don't really sort of have um, all of you to speak in front of, but we do each week have, I do certainly have a number of people in the room that I get to kind of speak to that are here. And uh, I'd love for you to be able to see them. I can't really take the camera, excuse me. <coughs> I can't really take the camera and turn it on everyone, but with Sergi, who you have seen, and we do see enough of him to be fair, uh, over in the corner here with Melissa, who's over in this sort of corner there, and then socially distanced and all that. We have the legend, which is Jackie Pollock. She does the broadcasting and the camera work, and it's just brilliant. And then socially distanced from her, we have Ian Hutchinson, who this morning actually looks like a bad, bad character out of either Batman movie. He looks like Bane, I think his name is. It's Bane, or how do you pronounce it? Bane. He's Bane. He's Bane from Batman. Or, or I actually thought he looked like Kylo Ren from, uh, from the latest Star Wars movies. And he does all the words which get projected up on the screen there. But then over in this direction, we have a very, very sound man. He is our sound man. His name's Brian Moore, or otherwise known as Murr. And uh, he is in such desperate need for relational connection that he's actually brought along a friend of his. And he's, he is not socially distanced from this friend. He is right beside In fact, he's got his arms all over. So I wonder, I think I could probably just bring your friend into the screenshot. This is, this is Brian's friend that he's brought along with him this morning. <laughs> Isn't that lovely? Brian, does he have a name? First of all, is it a he or a she? It's not Brian. It actually smells like it's been in someone's attic, to be honest. <laughs> Any, a name for it? No? It's not Brian. It's just I thought Brian brought it with him. No, no he didn't. Oh, sorry, sorry. He's, lo he's looking a bit lonely, so we'll just bring him back here. There you go, son. There you go. Oh, that's just lovely, isn't it? Anyway. Um, you're probably thinking he hasn't prepared much this morning. He's absolutely winging things this morning. Um, but I actually have quite a fair bit to kind of get through. And it's really good stuff as we conclude our series on life with Jesus. We've looked at so many different practices, so many different ways in which we connect with Jesus. It gives us and brings us life. And this last one I've been desperate to talk about for weeks. It's been something that we have all been practicing even though we didn't choose to practice it. And it's the practice of simplicity. Um, it has been thrown upon us, literally. Um, we have had to live in a simple or much more simple way. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. Uh, but as we uh, enter into what is probably the most uh, lavish, or we could actually use the word gluttonous period of the year, Christmas, I thought this would be just an apt moment to take some time to reflect on our lives and how we're practicing uh, the gift and the celebration actually of living simply. So what is it? Well, I'm going to quote uh, a, a genius, a brilliant, brilliant Bible teacher. Some of you have known, you've read maybe some of his books. His name's John Mark Comer, brilliant, talented, young uh, pastor in the States. He has a brilliant website called Practicing the Way. There are some incredible teachings on there and I encourage you just go there and watch some of the, the teachings centered around uh, our lives being apprentices to Jesus, that we are disciples, that we are followers of him 
And uh, he has a whole section, a whole series on simplicity. And uh, he quotes, this is his quote, his words, of which I've ripped off quite a lot of today. I'm just giving all the glory there. Limiting the number of our possessions, expenses, activities, and social obligations to a level where we are free to live joyfully in the kingdom with Jesus. Just read that through together again. Simplicity is limiting the number of our possessions, our expenses, activities, and social obligations to a level where we are free to live joyfully in the kingdom with Jesus. When we went into lockdown initially back in what March, April time, this was thrust upon us. We stopped in many ways. And for me personally, and I know for many of you watching, in those first few weeks, whilst there was difficulty, whilst there was that initial kind of, oh my goodness, what is life going to look like? And we adapted so quickly in so many ways. There were so many of us found joy in the simplicity of life. We didn't have hundred taxi service runs to do if you're a, a parent of a teenager that's just where we're at in life we didn't have all these other commitments that we had to attend to we had to get here we had to do this we had to do and life just slowed down and there was just a real beauty of simplicity of, of life that kind of came now that said as time has gone on uh, the wearisome kind of life of, oh, we are longing, aren't we, for social connection with one another. There are many things that we did enjoy before that we're really longing to have back, to return to normal. And yet there are so many things in life that we are being taught in this time, in this moment, that as there is a ability in some time in the future to be able to return to a degree of normality oh that we would take what we are have learnt and are learning into our future that we don't just go back to the way things were that we take what we have learnt and we practice it that a new normal is established as we adopt and practice this gift of simplicity in all areas of life, it will give us the life and the contentment and joy and peace and the things that we so want and we so desire in our lives. I'm going to look at uh, a story and then a parable that Jesus taught. If you have Bibles at home, you're, you're reading along. We're in Luke chapter 12. I'm going to read through a few verses and then take them bit by bit. Someone in the crowd, Jesus was teaching already, so there was a crowd gathered, said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. 
and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Jesus teaching this crowd of listeners, this guy, God love him, he piped up, stuck his hand up, interrupted, and he basically says, tell my brother get to divide up the inheritance. And Jesus says, who made me the judge between the two of you? And he says these really direct words, out of everything that I'm going to read, there's a number of quotes coming, but if we can just remember these ones, they're the most striking of all, and they come from Jesus' lips himself. He says, and he says to us, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life, the life that we want, the life that gives us joy, peace, contentment, the things that we're longing for, he says that life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he tells the parable, which we'll look at in some time to come. Jesus knew what lay in the heart of man. He knew what was in us. He knew our susceptibility to, to stuff, to wealth, to possessions, to getting things. He understood the false sense of security that that actually gives us, that as we trust in those things, that our gaze and our attention actually doesn't go towards him. He understood the status, that false sense of security and status that it can give us is not a good thing. In fact, it's a trap and that it does not give us the life that we so want and desire. It actually just makes us more miserable. Freud was the first modern thinker to challenge the rational theory of, I think, therefore I am and do. He explained that whilst we are rational, we have the ability to make irrational decisions. We have an unconscious drive in our lives, impulses in our bodies that make us make decisions all of the time without ever stopping and thinking because we just act irrationally. New thinkers or neuroscientists would call this our animal brain or the writers of the New Testament would call it our flesh. Freud says we are therefore vulnerable to manipulation from outside and self-deception from the inside. Freud ironically was Jewish and yet the first people to really play on his theory was Hitler and the Nazis. Hitler was a master of propaganda uh, sowing into the unconscious drives of people playing on them in order to uh, behave in a way in which he wanted them to go which was driven by uh, by wants and by fear. After the war uh, Edward Bernays, who was Freud's nephew, took this same theory after the war, took it to America to, uh, to see if we could manipulate people's unconscious drive during peacetime in America. He comes home and he sells his ideas to business thinkers and leaders in Madison Avenue. With time, Edward Bernays 
became known as the father of American advertising. In his book entitled Propaganda, he said this, the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds are molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested largely by men we have never heard of. Now it sounds a little bit like a conspiracy theory in some ways, but it is a known secret that after the war, alliance was made between politicians in DC, together with bankers on Wall Street and business people in Madison Avenue, to work together in an alliance to get the American people to buy more stuff. Paul Mazur of the Lehman Brothers said, we must shift America from a needs culture to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things, even before the old have been entirely consumed, we must share a new mentality. Man's desire must overshadow his needs. Victor Elbow wrote in a magazine in 1955, our enormous productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life, that we convert the buying and use of goods into rituals, that we seek our spiritual satisfactions, our ego satisfactions in consumptions. The measure of social status, of social acceptance, of prestige is now to be found in our consumative patterns. The very meaning and significance of our lives today expressed in consumative terms. The greater the pressures upon the individual to consume to safe and accepted social standards, the more does he uh, he tend to, his express, to express his aspirations and his individuality in terms of what he wears, drives, eats, his home, his car, his pattern of food, his hobbies. We need things consumed, burned out, worn out, replaced and discarded at an ever-increasing pace. We need to have people eat, drink, dress, ride, live with ever more complicated and therefore constantly more expensive consumption. This was in 1955. I feel like we've been set up. I feel like people years ago started this whole racket towards what has impacted and influenced the Western world's thinking, believing, and then behaving. And this is not just the States. This influences us. It influences millions, billions of people along across the world. Today, on average, we see 5,000 adverts per day. They are aimed at our unconscious desires, speaking to us when we're not really thinking about things. The online powerhouses of Google, Facebook, Zoom, Amazon are mining our searches and our browsing and building up a picture of the type of people that we are in order to to manipulate and send us images and messages of things, just driving that inner desire that, as we know, is deceptive. No joke. Um, uh, two or three years ago, we were, a couple of years ago, we were looking actually at another building. If you're part of our church, you've been journeying with us for some time, you'll know the story. We were looking at another building in the town. 
And for us to secure this building, we needed a lift to uh, connect to the ground floor to the first floor because there wasn't one installed. And, uh, and I remember Chantel saying to me, oh, must be, this building must be for us, it's a sign, it's a sign. I have just seen on my Facebook feed this, uh, this advert for this lift company, and you'll never guess what, it's in Carrickfergus. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, no darling, no. I was Googling yesterday <laughs> lift elevator companies in Northern Ireland. The, the wee so-and-sos have gotten hold of that Google search and somehow it's now appeared on your Facebook. And if you're into the old bake book, you know fine rightly. You'd be looking over here somewhere on Google and then all of a sudden, there it is, plain to see. It just comes up. It's following us around like a, like a bad smell. Some stats in America. These are American stats. The average number of items in an American home is 300,000. I just can't begin to get my head around. As I, as I say that, this is not my notes, I think of homes I visited in Ethiopia. Oh my goodness, you could count on a couple of people's hands how many items are in those homes. Now here's the thing, again, not in the notes, totally left field. Some of the children and people that I have encountered in Ethiopia, whilst their physical needs and what they need are great, I have seen in the faces and the lives and the interactions with children in Ethiopia to be way more content than some of the children that I would know and interact and engage with here. In America, they consume twice as much as 50 years ago. Uh, homes today have increased in size three times in the last 50 years. The average debt of an American is $15,000. All of this consumption is wreaking havoc in terms of um, the, the environmental impact that it's having on the world, which affects the poor in other countries and nations around the globe. Here in the UK, consumer spending over the past 15 years has increased by nearly 60%. Now, I realize that currently right now, we are entering into an incredibly terrible recession. And I understand, economically speaking, the need for public spending in order to help in terms of the spiraling out of control of a recession. That's important uh, for business, that's important for employment, that's important for taxes to be recouped and government debt to be paid off. However, and I'm only just asking a question here, I do not fully understand it. I did study economics at uh, A-level and I just about scraped a D. So, uh, so I'm no expert, okay? I'm certainly not the Chancellor of the Exchequer here. Uh, but what if, as we climb out of recession, whenever that will be, what if we don't place such a high um, value and um, reliance upon an economy which requires economic growth? What if we, we trust in other things which are way more stable than relying on consumer spending? I'm just asking the question. I don't really fully understand it myself. On to the American election. You're probably thinking, my goodness, he's touching on some big things here. Um, I, I could be in tricky waters. If there's anything you want to complain about, um, please do send uh, me an email. My email address is chantel at carrotfocusvineyard.org afterwards. 
But um, the, the, the American election was fought so bitterly. And yet, possibly the number one thing that was talked about, that was driven about, where many, many millions of Americans voted on, was the economy. It was the economy. And again, this is just a question. Is it fair to say that in the hearts and the minds of many an American and ourselves, that the economy is an idol, regardless? Is our desire for more, our desire for want, making us any happier? The simple answer to that is no. Robert Wathenau, a sociologist, said, we live in a materialistic culture, we want money and possessions, and very few people have heard a powerful voice telling them to resist those impulses, or how to resist those impulses. Organized religion has not done a good job of challenging people to examine their lifestyles. Wow, that's a kick in the stomach, isn't it? Oh my goodness. We in the church, we do talk about money. Sometimes I think we can get all kind of caught up and head up about it. But actually, uh, one, of the, one of the things that maybe if you've been part of a church, you've been a Christian for a number of years, you'll, you'll know the biblical practice of tithing to give 10% of our incomes to the Lord. It's our offering, it's, it's part of our worship and it's an act of worship. But we've had a tendency not to actually address the other 90% at all and we've just sort of gone, okay, if you're ticking the box and you're doing the 10%, dead on, that's fantastic. Just live, drink, be merry with the other 90% and yet that is irresponsible and we open ourselves up to the enemy in terms of his work in our lives. Richard Foster, the well-known author, wrote this about the practice of simplicity. Consumerism is a rival religious philosophy about what constitutes blessedness. Perhaps Jesus was right. Greed and the pursuit of stuff does not lead to the good life. It will never satisfy, even though we have this natural tendency to chase for it. Uh, the well-known businessman Rockefeller, you'll have heard this quote possibly before, that he was the richest man in the world for a, for a time. He uh, accumulated great, great wealth, and he was asked this question during an interview. You know, how much money for you to have is going to be enough? And his reply was just a little bit more. This desire for more, for more. When we get the more, we still want more. We know this not to be true. It does not give us enough. It does not truly satisfy. And if we're not careful and stop and think and change, we will never have enough hours in the day, enough clothes in the wardrobe, enough food in the cupboard, and enough money in our bank accounts. It just keeps inviting us and leading us towards the chase of more. We say we want to love God, we want to pursue relationship with him, and yet we spend our time thinking about what we'll wear, that new car, that lavish holiday, or whatever it might be. Back to the story in Luke 12. Jesus addresses the man who asked him the question and now is regretting ever opening in his mouth because Jesus tells this story, this parable, to further explain his point. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. 
Firstly, we see that the man's riches didn't necessarily come from the labor of his own hands. It came from the ground. It was a good season. The soil was good. The temperature was right. The rainfall was enough. And it was God's provision for him. And yet he is saying, look at my well. Look at this abundant harvest that I have had. I think that many of us think uh, similar between uh, what we work and what we think is ours. I think that we can go work and, uh, and earn well or whatever it might be. And we kind of treat the same sort of relationship. We, we kind of say, yeah, you know, I have worked jolly hard for this. Therefore, it's mine. And then we treat giving towards God as if we're tipping a waiter. It's like, oh, you know, you know, when it comes to that awkward bit, especially if you've been out. It's been a while now. You've been out for a meal with friends. And you're kind of, a, it's like the bill comes and you kind of do the awkward bit of, oh, I had this, I had that. It's just like, wise up, let's just divide it. Uh, unless someone's been drinking lots or something. Um, but then it comes to that other bit after you've paid the bill. It's like, oh, what about a tip? What about a tip? And some of us can have a tendency. You know who you are and you know who those people are. You've got a tip and you're kind of rummaging in your pockets. got, oh, I've got a pound, I've got a pound. And, I, and then we leave this tip and we're like, no, no, it should be the first thing that we offer. We're saying, this is the Lord's and everything, everything. The abundant harvest in this story came from the Lord. And so too does our earnings. It comes from him. The man thinks, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. What shall I do with my stuff? He's so self-absorbed. He's so... Uh, head up about his own possessions and it's a rhetorical question that Jesus uses here into that culture before there was a taxation system which would have redistributed wealth to those who were in need in culture and society the answer to that question was give away the surplus to the poor into that culture and society there was a high expectation for that and yet the man wanted to keep it and squander it upon himself he says, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. There I will store my surplus grain. I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. By tearing down his barns, he creates even more unnecessary waste. Storing up wealth and possessions to consume, living the life of hedonism and self-centeredness. But God says to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you've prepared for yourself. This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. You fool, this is not an intelligent way to live. You think by living like this, you are going to have life in all its abundance. All those things that you want and you desire that you really need, they are not going to be found in possessions and stuff. Jesus talks perhaps 25% of his talking time recorded in the Gospels is about money and possessions. He was aware of the inner soul dynamics going on between possessions and heart towards him. It's not that he's after our stuff. It's not that he's mean. It's because he knows that it is a distraction and a complete enemy towards life that we desire. 
it says it is more blessed to give than to receive we've heard that we say that we say that especially at christmas my goodness it's so incredible some of the things that that are coming up that we're able to give we champion we celebrate that those cap presents have been uh, all the tags have been taken and we're going to buy gifts we're going to distribute we will be blessed as we give than in what we get and receive ourselves the greek word for blessed actually translated means happier you will be happier when you give than when you receive a lifestyle of simplicity simple living generosity gives a greater contentment in relationships less stuff happier better life the practice of simplicity is the way of life that we actually want as we approach christmas it is going to be really really different and i dare say that actually we would trade all our gifts all the turkey and whatever that we consume at christmas we would trade all of that for the one thing that we really want and desire right now and that is relationship it is relationship with jesus and the peace and the contentment that comes from him but it is relationship with our loved ones those that we have not been able to see boy we would say don't give me anything if we could just see the people that we love less stuff and more of the things our hearts ache for so as we begin the circle and come into land let's get practical what does it mean what does it look like for us well this season ahead there's no better starting place to assess our own lives our own practices our own attitudes surrounding the celebration of christmas how do we do that how do we approach that what's our budget how much do we choose to spend on our kids even though we know that our kids friends will probably get loads more than they are getting how do we walk that balance you don't have to start with selling all your possessions although jesus did ask that of some in the scriptures but start where you're at experiment over this next season and it's it's probably a really good starting point to just simply go before the lord and say okay god what does it look like for me holy spirit search me and reveal to me what is it that i'm holding on to with too much too i'm placing too much of value in this area and allow the holy spirit to speak to you and i know it holds dear it's 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 like that snowman is to brian it's like it's just close by it's like oh i just don't want to give that up i just don't want to give that well we just see the hold that it might have and just choose to live in the opposite way the opposite to greed the opposite to the stuff is generosity is giving away and perhaps we want to uh, to choose to do that it's fantastic the cat presents have been uh, done it's fantastic that we're going to deliver 50 hampers to families in need on christmas eve it's fantastic that we're going to get to deliver a hundred three course dinners and gifts to individuals who are going to be isolated on christmas day this year i know 
that stand by me the charity that we support as a church and i know many of us as individuals sponsor children uh, in ethiopia but also in other countries i know there's an opportunity right now to give extra at christmas towards our sponsor child i know that there will be other charities right now writing letters to you asking requesting inviting us to live in the spirit of generosity and i would wholeheartedly just encouraged to have our hearts and our minds open to that. In terms of our own consumerism, our own wants, here are just a few thoughts I wrote down. Perhaps you don't replace that car for the better one. There's plenty more miles left on that one. Just keep driving it. Perhaps you don't need to go and get that iPhone 12, even though your contract's up. Do you know you don't have to just get a new phone because the contract's up. You can just pay the, the, the calls and the texts and all the rest and live with a phone. It still works. Don't buy any new clothes. I guess for now uh, that not eating out is really an option because it isn't an option. But um, perhaps, perhaps we limit the takeaways. Although I'm sort of, we want to support local businesses and all that. Maybe that wasn't such a good one. Consider your Christmas list. Consider what you're spending on your children. I love the fact that right now, Gillian, our kids pastor, is, is doing, working through some material called Advent Conspiracy. Brilliant, brilliant uh, organization uh, with great resources. And, and, and their central theme is encouraging children. Kids, you know you get so much at Christmas time. Why don't you say to mum and dad, instead of buying me all that stuff, that you just buy me that stuff and that little bit left there, that you take that money that you were gonna buy on me and let's spend it somewhere else. Let's give it somewhere else. What that does in terms of teaching our children, sowing into them a lifestyle of generosity is fantastic as well. Go through your home and look at your stuff don't itemize it and count to see if you've got 300,000 things in your home, but look at the things that are important that you have that you no longer need and consider giving it away. And I'm not just saying have a clear out. Boy, if you know me, you know I love clear outs. I am not the opposite of my better half, a hoarder. I love to say, yes, let's get those bags and get them to the charity shop or to wherever else. But that's not what I'm talking about something that you have at home that holds some degree of value to you still but you don't use and you know that it could better someone else's life consider it it's an invitation not telling you consider taking that and giving it to someone else that would use it and just see as we begin to practice these things as we live a more simpler life as we're generous of heart just see how it might shape and change our hearts, our peace, the joy and contentment that we have. Before I finish, it is important for me to say the following and to recognize that for some of us, we have um, had a pay cut, that some of us do uh, face uh, unemployment or the loss of hours and that that will impact. For others in the church and for others in society, we have more income 
we're no longer having to drive to the office and we're saving money in that whole area. Or still that we're still in employment and money is coming in and it's important that we as the church give to those others who are in need. That we practice what we read about in Acts chapter 2, the redistribution of wealth. You can do that via the church, it comes in, we give out, or just simply go do that. Uh, yourself with someone else life with Jesus he invites us to live more simply not because he's mean not because he wants our stuff not that stuff and possessions is bad because it isn't it's to limit it it's to live more simply because he knows where real joy peace and contentment lie Amen